We are continuing our series today called Sins and Stones on the Life of King David. And if you've missed the past several weeks, let me take just a moment to catch you up. David was the second king over Israel. He lived about a thousand years before Jesus, about 3,000 years ago. The first king over Israel uh, was a man named Saul, and Saul's reign started off well, but Saul's heart drifted away from the Lord and finally to the point that God actually rejected Saul and his family line as king. And so God had another individual named David, who was just a teenager at the time, anointed to be the next king over Israel. And all of that was good, except for the fact that Saul was still king while David was king and waiting. And Saul did not like the fact that someone outside of his family line was the king who was in waiting. And so Saul tried again and again and again to hunt David down and to take David's life. And Through this series, we've seen where Saul made several attempts to kill David. And last week, we saw where David finally got his chance to get even. Uh, He finally had his opportunity to kill Saul, to get back at Saul, and to rid the world of Saul and so that David could assume his role as as king and, and get on with his life. But David showed incredible mercy. David showed respect for Saul. He showed grace to Saul, and David did not take that opportunity to get even. Today, we're going to see David um, with a lot less patience. We're going to see another side of David. At this point, his patience has run thin, and today we're going to see David act a whole lot differently. So if you've got a Bible, turn to 1 Samuel chapter 25. Uh, 1 Samuel is right after the little book of Ruth. Uh, which comes right after the book of Judges, and we'll actually start with verse 2. Again, this is 1 Samuel 25. Here's what we read. A certain man in Maon who had property there at Carmel. So these are two towns that are located uh, just to the west of the Dead Sea in southern Israel. Uh, Carmel here is not the same Carmel as Mount Carmel, which is located in northern Israel. This is a region that's sort of in the desert south of Jerusalem um, and to the left of the Dead Sea. Uh, There was a certain man, and he was very wealthy. He had a thousand goats and three thousand sheep, which he was shearing in Carmel. And so we know he was wealthy because he had 3,000 goats and 3,000 sheep. And here we learn that they were shearing the sheep at Carmel, which meant this was big bonus time. Uh, This was a big festival. This was payday for this wealthy man and all of those individuals who worked for him. This was the equivalent of your company having a huge Christmas party, lots of food, lots of drink, big party, and the boss handing out bonuses at the Christmas party. They would have had a festival, big banquet, lots of food. This was a huge, huge celebration they would have had after a year of tending sheep. Now it's sheep shearing time. This was payday for these guys. His name was Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail. She was an intelligent and beautiful woman, But her husband was surly and mean in his dealings. He was a Calebite. Okay, so this guy was very wealthy, but he was surly and mean in his dealings, and his name was Nabal. As we will learn later in the text, Nabal actually means fool, meaning his name was fool. I don't think this was the name his parents gave to him. 
Surely this was not the name that was on his birth certificate. This was his nickname because of the way he acted. Since he was a young boy, people did not call him by his birth name. They just called him fool because of his character, because of the way that he acted. He was wealthy, but he was a fool. However, he had a wife named Abigail. And Abigail was beautiful and intelligent. Doesn't it always seem to go that way? This guy was a fool. He was mean. Had nothing going for him, but he had money. And he had money, so he gets the beautiful and intelligent girl. In 3,000 years, not much has changed. In fact, one theologian from the 80s put it this way. They can beg and they can plead, but they can't see the light. That's right. Because the boy with the cold, hard cash is always Mr. Right. Now, for all you millennials and Gen Zers, that theologian's name, Madonna, and that was a song called Material Girl from the 80s. So Nabal is a fool, but he's got the beautiful and intelligent wife. All right, verse 4. While David was in the wilderness, in that region next to the Dead Sea, the desert area there, he heard that Nabal was shearing sheep. So he sent ten young men and said to them, Go up to Nabal at Carmel and greet him in my name. Say to him, Long life to you, good health to you and to your household, and good health to all that is yours. So David and his men at this point essentially had made their base camp in this area that was near the Dead Sea, in the desert there, near Carmel, where all of this was happening. So he sends men to Carmel, to Nabal, with this greeting, good health to you, good health to yours. It was a kind, friendly greeting. Then they say this, Now I hear that it is sheep shearing time. When your shepherds were with us, we did not mistreat them. And the whole time they were at Carmel, nothing of theirs was missing. Ask your own servants, and they will tell you. Therefore, be favorable toward my men, since we come at a festive time. Please give your servants and your son David whatever you can find for them. When David's men arrived, they gave Nabal this message in David's name. Then they waited. So David sends these men and says to Nabal, Hey, when you guys were serving as shepherds, when you were, when you were watching your sheep all throughout this region, my men were, were operating in this area and no harm ever came to them. None of my men just went and, and took some of your sheep for their own. And, and moreover, since we were here, we served as this wall of protection around your shepherds so that other individuals, bandits or, or some other army would not come in. The reason that you're having this festival the reason you're having this huge celebration, the reason that it's big bonus day for you, Nabal, is due in part because of the protection that we have provided. Therefore, share some of the bounty. Share some of your food with us. Share part of your payday with us. Spare some of what you've made for us. Here was Nabal's response, verse 10. Nabal answered David's servants, Servants, who is this David? Who is this son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. 
Why should I take my bread and water and the meat I have slaughtered for my shears and give it to men coming from who knows where? So understand this. At this point, David was a household name in Israel. His battle against Goliath was well known. That, that word of what happened there spread throughout Israel. But even beyond that, David had served as a personal bodyguard to Saul. He had served as a general in the army. David was well, well known in Israel. But these servants come and in David's name they ask for some food. They ask for some water. They ask for some of what they're celebrating right now. Just share some of what you have with us since we have protected you. And Nabal acts like he's never heard of David. Who is this guy? You know, there are servants who are breaking away from their master these days. Is he one of those guys? Why should I take my food? Why should I take my earnings and share with this guy I don't know? He essentially dismisses David as a nobody and says, Why would I share what I have made with this nobody? Really bad, foolish response on the part of Nabal. Here's what we read next. David's men turned around and went back. When they arrived, they reported every word. David said to his men, each of you strap on your sword. That was a way of saying, boys, saddle up, let's ride. Think of an old western. They're going to get revenge. Think of a Vin Diesel movie or if you're my age, a Sylvester Stallone or Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. Think about one of these movies where they're going to go back and they're going to get back at the person who has hurt them. That's what David's saying here. Boys, it's time to go take care of business. So they did, and David strapped on his sword as well. About 400 men went up with David while 200 stayed with the supplies. So David at this point has an army of 600 men, more like a militia. And they had camped out in this area. They had provided support for Nabal while his shepherds were there, protection. And Nabal gives this answer. I don't even know who David is. And David says, well, you're about to find out. Verse 14. One of the servants told Abigail, Nabal's wife, David sent messengers from the wilderness to give our master his greetings, but he hurled insults at them. Yet these men were very good to us. They did not mistreat us. And the whole time we were out in the fields near them, nothing was missing. So again, get the picture of what's going on here. One of the servants hears what's happened. And he comes and he finds Abigail and he says, Look, I can't go to Nabal. If I go to Nabal, he will dismiss me. Abigail hears what the servants of David came and said. And here was his response. Is there anything you can do? He, can, he continues, night and day, they were a wall around us the whole time we were herding our sheep near them. Now think it over and see what you can do because disaster is hanging over our master and his whole household. He is such a wicked man that no one can talk to him. So the servant here confirms exactly what the servants of David said. Hey, while we were out in the fields with our sheep, His men provided protection. They never took any of our sheep. They were there serving as protection against anyone else who would come. They were good to us the whole time. 
But your husband Nabal gave a foolish, foolish response. And now disaster hangs over our household. Verse 18, Abigail acted quickly. She took 200 loaves of bread, a lot of bread, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, a lot of meat, five sayas of roasted grain, a hundred cakes of raisins and 200 cakes of pressed figs and loaded them on donkeys. Then she told her servants, go ahead, I'll follow you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. So Abigail here gets all of this food likely from the festival, from the banquet that was being hosted by Nabal. She gathers all of this food to take to David. This was exactly what Nabal should have done. If Nabal had sent this food back with David's servants, everything would have been fine. The next day, Nabal would have gotten a thank you note from David. Hey, thanks so much. Great food. Really enjoyed it. Your wife's a great cook. Your servants are great cooks. Thank you so much. We're friends. Nabal didn't do it. However, ironically, Nabal's sending David this food. He just doesn't know about it. It's his wife acting on his behalf. She doesn't tell Nabal. He's at the festival. He's getting drunk. He's partying with all of his friends, all of these shepherds that, that have worked all year long. She doesn't tell him. She just does. Verse 20. As she came riding her donkey into a mountain ravine, there were David and his men descending toward her. And she met them. David had just said, it's, it's been useless. All my watching over this fellow's property in the wilderness so that nothing of his was missing. He has paid me back evil for good. May God deal with David, be it ever so severely, if by morning... I leave, one alive, I leave alive one male of all who belong to him. So get the picture. Abigail acts quickly. She loads up food. She puts it on the donkeys. They go. They meet uh, David at this ravine, this place where she could intercept David. She waits there in the ravine, and she looks off in the distance. And there, snaking his way down the ravine, are David and his 400 men coming for vengeance. And the text says that David had just been talking to himself. Other people could hear it, but David was so mad, you could see steam coming out of his ears, talking to himself about the way that Nabal had treated him. All this time, I've been good to him. None of his sheep were missing. And this is how he treats me. And then he makes this promise. Not one man in his household will be left alive by morning. And if so, if one man is still breathing, may God deal with me ever so severely. This was the equivalent of saying, I swear, I promise, you can take it to the bank. These men and Nabal will all be dead. Now here's what's amazing. Last week we read this passage where Saul, who had been trying to kill David time and time again, where Saul enters into this cave and David has his chance to get revenge on Saul. And he doesn't. He shows grace. He shows mercy. He does not attack Saul, even though Saul deserved it. Here, though, Nabal, who never tried to kill David, he just doesn't give food to David, Gives us reply and David says, by God, Nabal and every one of his men are going to die because of this response in the, uh, from Nabal. What's the difference here? 
What has changed? I think there are a couple of things going on. One, I think David is tired. He is just worn out. He has been on the run, and he is just tired. But secondly, and more significantly, David showed respect to Saul because Saul was king. With Nabal, even though he was a wealthy fellow, he did not have to show the same respect. David is furious with Saul. He is exhausted by Saul trying to hunt him down. Nabal gives this answer, and it is the proverbial straw that breaks the camel's back, and he is ready to take out all his anger on Saul and his anger on Nabal. All of it he is taking out on Nabal. So let's take 400 men, and instead of using a rifle just to take out Nabal, let's use a grenade, and we're going to take out his entire household. David promises that this is going to happen. Story continues. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed down before David with her face to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, Pardon your servant, my Lord, and let me speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. Please pay no attention, my Lord, to that wicked man, Nabal. He is just like his name. His name means fool, and folly goes with him. And, and as for me, your servant, I did not see the men my Lord sent. So there in the ravine, David and his men have snaked their way down the mountain. They come into the ravine, and Abigail stops him. She does whatever she can to, to, to get David to stop for just a moment. And she bows down, and she says, please, 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 do not pay any attention to my husband. He's a fool, just like his name says. And understand this, I wasn't there when your men came. If I had been there, this would be a whole different story. But I did not know about the response of Nabal until well after the fact. Then she continues. And now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord your God lives, and as you live, since the Lord has kept you from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands... May your enemies and all who are intent on harming my Lord be like Nabal. And let this gift which your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the men who follow you. So she says here, hey, I'm, I'm bringing what Nabal should have given to you. Please, please accept this gift as my apology. And then she continues, and here's what she says. Please forgive your servant's presumption. The Lord your God will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my Lord because you fight the Lord's battles and no wrongdoing will be found in you as long as you live. Even though someone is pursuing you to take your life, the life of my Lord will be bound securely in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God. But by the lives of your, but the lives of your enemies he will hurl away as from the pocket of a sling. Here's what Abigail does here. She proves exactly why she was beautiful and intelligent. She comes to David and she says, David, this is not who you are. She says, David, your, your life is intertwined. It is, it is bundled up with the Lord. And because your life is bundled up with the Lord, he will fight your battles. He will avenge your foes. Those who try to hurt you, he will take care of them. And then she reminds David of his past. She reminds him of a time when he trusted the Lord completely. 
She says, the lives your enemies he will hurl away as from the pocket of a sling. She, she remembers back to when David was just a young teenage boy fighting against Goliath. And he took this slingshot and placed a rock in it and hurled it at Goliath and planted that rock in Goliath's forehead. And she says to him, remember, remember how you trusted God to fight your battles? And now you're fighting on your own. This is not you, David. You're so much better than this. Here's what Abigail does here, and it's just brilliant. She feeds the ego of David. She says, David, this is not you. You're a better person than this, David. She appeals to his pride. And in doing so, she puffs David up, and she gets him to listen to her appeal. It, it, it's brilliant, and admittedly, it is something that, that women are just able to do. I, I, and even though we know what you're doing, it still gets to us. You know, Katie has this way of getting what she wants simply by feeding my ego. You know, she'll, she'll get it in her head that she wants to rearrange the den, and she'll say to me, you know, I'm just amazed at how strong you are. <laughs> oh, really? I, I just bet you could move that sofa from that side of the den all the way to that side all by yourself. Now, I know exactly what she's doing. I, I, I can see right through it, and I still can't help it. Like, yeah, I bet you I can. <laughs> sofa. Move that sofa by myself. Like, I know, it gets what she wants, you know, just by appealing to my pride, you know. So, women, we know what you're doing, but it works. So keep doing it if you want to get what you want. That's what Abigail does here to David. Hey, this is not who you are, David. You're so much better than this. And it makes him stop and listen. Then she continues. When the Lord has fulfilled for my Lord, that's David, every good thing he promised concerning him and has appointed him ruler over Israel, my Lord will not have this on his conscience, the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or of having avenged himself. And when the Lord your God has brought my Lord's success, remember your servant. Here's what Abigail does. Again, it's just brilliant. She says to David, what do you want your story to be? Think about this event a year from now. Think about this event, event five years from now. Think about this 10 and 15 years from now. Do you really want your story to be, I got even? This bloodshed I had on my hands? Think about today and the story you will tell in the future about today, do you want this to be a part of your story? That you got even, that you shed all of this blood, this needless bloodshed, David, does not have to be part of your story. Here's how she responds, how David responds. David said to Abigail, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to meet me. May you be blessed for your good judgment, and for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. Otherwise, surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, who has kept me from harming you, if you had not come quickly to meet me, not one male belonging to Nabal would have been left alive by daybreak. You see, David here confirms to Abigail exactly what he was intending to do, which was to slaughter everyone who worked for Nabal's Sheep Shearing Incorporated. I mean, he was ready to wipe them all out, but her words were like a two-by-four up, up 
beside his head. I mean, he at this point says, thank you for having good judgment. Thank you for stopping me from this. Thank you so much for causing me to wake up and to realize how foolish it would have been. Then David accepted from her hand what she had brought him and said, Go home in peace. I have heard your words and granted your request. So David takes all of this food. They go back to the camp, and there they have this huge festival where David and his men are able to eat all of this food that Abigail brought. Then the story turns to Abigail and Nabal. Here's what we read. When Abigail went to Nabal, he was in the house holding a banquet like that of a king. He was in high spirits and very drunk. So she told him nothing at all until daybreak. Then in the morning, when Nabal was sober, his wife told him all these things, and his heart failed him, and he became like a stone. About ten days later, the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. So Abigail returns home, but she doesn't go to Nabal. He's at the festival. He is partying with his men. He is drunk. They're having a big time. He is acting like he is a king over a kingdom. And she says, I'm just going to wait. And so the next morning he wakes up. Text here says that he was sober. I think we could add and hung over. And she comes in and says, hey, let, let me tell you a story. Did you have fun last night? Did you have a good time at the party? You know, was the food good and the wine good? How are you feeling today? Oh, you've got a splitting headache? Well, let me talk a little louder and tell you what almost happened last night. And she shares this story. And Nabal at this point is sober and he goes into shock and he has a heart attack. The text doesn't say heart attack, but he has a heart attack. His heart became like stone, and he hangs on for ten days, and then he dies. And David never had to lift a finger. David did not have Nabal's blood on his hands. God took care of Nabal in God's way, in God's time, in exactly how God would do it best. Nabal deserved to die. He was a fool. His answer to David was extremely foolish and rude. Nabal deserved punishment, but David did not need to be the one to do it. And God did it in his time. And God did it with a rifle right at Nabal rather than a grenade taking out Nabal and all of his men. So what do we take from this story? What, What do we do when someone has offended us And we are ready to get our revenge. Let me give you four questions to ask, just to consider before you get even. And this is on your message map if you've got that with you. Number one, before you get even, ask this question. Who are you really mad at? Now, for all you English teachers in here, I know this is bad grammar. You're not supposed to end a sentence with a preposition. I get that. Correctly phrased, this would be, at whom are you really mad? But we don't talk that way. You get the gist of it. Before you get even, ask this question. Who are you really mad at? Is it really this person that you want to get even with that has you so angry right now? Or is there someone else and you can't get back at that person and so you're going to take it out on somebody else? 
you've got a boss and they drive you crazy and they frustrate you and everything you do, they've got criticism and every day you go to work and they're just breathing down your neck and you're tired and you're tired and you're tired but you cannot get back at them. But you've got a subordinate, someone under you, and they get out of line just one little bit, they snap back at you, and you take out all your frustration on your boss, on this person who is under you. Why are you doing that? It's because you can't get back at Saul. Saul's got the power. You can't get back at Saul. Saul is king, but you can surely take out your frustrations on the ball, and so you unload everything on the ball. Stop and ask this question. Is it really them? Am I really mad at them? Or am I mad at somebody else and I'm taking it all out on them? That's the first question. Question number two. Can a few kind words completely change the situation? Here's why I bring this question into the story. We did not read the last part of 1 Samuel 25. The last part is after Nabal dies, King David hears that Nabal has died. He was so impressed with the beautiful and intelligent Abigail that he sends for her and makes her one of his wives. That's a sermon for another time. Um, Because she was so beautiful and so intelligent and he was so impressed with what she had done. Well, later on, David has a son named Solomon. Solomon wrote the book of Proverbs, and in Proverbs, here's what he wrote. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Now, I don't know this for sure, but I just imagine that Solomon at some point heard this story of his father David and Nabal who gave this foolish answer and Abigail who saved David from shedding all of this blood and Solomon put that story together and said, hey, there is this principle that is true in life. A harsh word stirs up anger and makes the situation worse. But a gentle answer turns away wrath. Just like Abigail came to David with respect and kindness, it turned the wrath of David away. Solomon observed this principle that's true in life. Somebody comes at you hard and they respond to you with some answer that is mean and harsh. And you won't respond in kind, but instead you surprise them with kind words in response to their harsh words, and the whole situation is diffused. And all the temperature lowers. And this, this thing that was ratcheting up to a fight suddenly is gone. And you don't have to get even. You don't have to get back. It's just the situation is resolved. Can a few kind words, a few kind words in an email or in a text, or verbally, can that completely change the situation? Question number three. What do you want your story to be? Right now, you want to get even. Right now, you want to make sure that they understand that they can't do this to you, and if they try to do this to you, then they're going to get theirs, and you want to make sure that you have gotten back at them. But do you really want that to be your story? A year from now, five years from now, ten years from now? Do you want people to say about you, boy, he is really good at the whole eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth thing. Cross him, he's going to get you back. Do you really want your story to be, boy, if you make her mad, you're going to suffer wrath. I mean, she will get even with you. She will get back at you. Or do you want your story to be, 
You know, it's amazing how gracious he is. How, how kind he is. And when he was hurt, I just knew that he was going to lash back. But he didn't. And it changed my whole perspective of him. It, it changed how I talk about him. It changed how I talk about her. How I view her. Do you want your story to be that? Or you're, by God, good at getting even. Think not just about the situation now, but about the future and what you want your story to be. And finally, here's the last thing. Are you leaving room for God? Are you doing what Abigail told David to do? David, this bloodshed does not have to be on your hands. You do not have to be the one to do this. David, let God fight your battles. In the New Testament book of Romans, chapter 12, here's what we read. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Then verse 19, and here is the key. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. If you go and you get even, if you go and you get your revenge, are you essentially saying to God, God, I don't need you to fight this battle. I've got it. I can handle it. I'll get them back on my own. When God is saying to you, boy, I wish you would let me fight it because I'll get back at them a lot better than you can get back at them. I will fight your battles for you. Are you edging God out by getting revenge when God says, hey, I will do it in a way that is just and right and precise. Exactly, exactly what needs to happen. You, you show kindness. You show grace. And you let me handle it from there. You want to get even and you're mad and you're so frustrated. And you just want to get back at them. Before you do, go through this checklist. Ask these questions. Before you get back at them. And if you respond with grace, if you respond with kindness. I promise you, I promise you, I promise you. God will we'll reward that behavior in your life.